The U.S. can now import more solar panels from Southeast Asian countries, but are they connected to forced labor in China? Questions rise as the White House pushes for clean energy. China's rainy season has begun, with severe downpours wrecking havoc in the southern regions. But local authorities may be adding to the damages. Chinese citizens have endured months of confinement as part of Beijing's zero COVID-19 strategy. But in the face of another lockdown, some people are standing up in protest. And a Chinese celebrity with 64 million followers vanishes while live streaming. Many suspect he got censored by Chinese authorities, all because of one unique ice cream bar. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. President Biden signed a declaration of emergency on Monday so that the U.S. can import more solar panels from Southeast Asian countries. This as there's an ongoing investigation into whether the solar products from these countries are made with forced labor in China. If so, that means the White House is ignoring its own anti-forced labor policies. NTD's Melina Weiskup has the details. The White House admits that the U.S. does not have enough solar panels to push forward with its clean energy transition, revealing in a Monday proclamation that, quote, roughly half of the domestic deployment of solar modules that had been anticipated over the next year is currently in jeopardy as a result of insufficient supply. Now President Biden is pausing tariffs on solar products from Southeast Asian countries, including Cambodia, Malaysia, Thailand, and Vietnam. The tariff freeze will last at least two years, and the White House says this is only temporary while the U.S. ramps up its own solar and wind production. How long do you think it would take for us to be self-sufficient? I don't think we ever could be self-sufficient. The fact of the matter is that you need to mine rare earth elements, which is about the most destructive environmental practice in the world, and the American people will not put up with that in the United States. If we are going to force the American economy to operate on solar power and wind power, we will be largely dependent on China. There's no way around that, and that's very dangerous for the United States and the rest of the world. And Oxensolar, a small company that prides itself on producing panels in the U.S., claims that these Southeast Asian countries are using Chinese parts made with forced labor while trying to hide their origin. There is also the fact that in China you have slave labor, you have cheap labor. There's no way to get around that. Other nations have the same issue. And right now these countries are being investigated by the Commerce Department for potentially funneling Chinese forced labor products to make solar panels. The White House was asked if waiving these tariffs would undermine the investigation, a question which did not get a direct answer. Can you just explain the administration thinking and how this two-year pause and guarantee doesn't undermine an investigation into those tariffs? Yeah, so the president is invoking an authority under the Tariff Act uh, that authorizes him to suspend certain important duties to address an emergency. The Commerce Department said in a Monday press release that they're still investigating the possibility of Chinese-made forced labor products being funneled through these Southeast Asian countries. And that, quote, whatever conclusion the Commerce Department reaches when the investigation is over will apply once this short-term emergency period is over.
And while this investigation is still ongoing, this latest announcement from the Commerce Department essentially means that if it is found that products from the Xinjiang region in China are making their way through those Southeast Asian countries and then being imported here into the U.S., that would effectively mean that we are not enforcing our own anti-forced labor policies. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. 80% of solar panels installed in the U.S. are imported from other countries. The Biden administration is aiming to produce 100% clean energy by 2035. Labor unions say they're not happy with Biden. He's looking to lift some of Trump's China tariffs to help with inflation. But the move could hurt domestic producers. The president of United Steelworkers, Thomas Conway, says the tariffs were imposed to shift the supply chains away from China and to reduce dependence on Chinese goods. He says they're an appropriate response to what he called China's unfair, predatory and protectionistic trade policies and that workers have lost jobs because of China. Conway makes the comment on behalf of the Labor Advisory Committee for Trade Negotiations and Trade Policy. It includes major unions and industries like aerospace, agriculture, automobiles and airline pilots. On Sunday, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said lifting tariffs on household goods would make sense. In particular, she mentioned lifting them on bicycles. Pushing for the other side of the argument, U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai says fighting inflation is more complex than cutting tariffs on goods from China. On Monday, she said it was important to bring a thoughtful, strategic, deliberate approach to the U.S.-China's trade relationship. The Trump administration previously slapped hundreds of billions of dollars in tariffs on Chinese imports, targeting intellectual property theft and forced technology transfers, among other problems. The world's spotlight is on the war in Ukraine, and Russian cyber attacks are making headlines. But the FBI warns that the globe's biggest hacking threat actually comes from China. Here's more. China is the world's largest malicious cyber actor. That's what FBI Director Christopher Wray said last week during a cybersecurity talk at Boston College. He says China pursues long-term goals and operates at a scale to which Russia doesn't even come close to. They've got a bigger hacking program than all other major nations combined. They've stolen more American personal and corporate data than all nations combined. And they've shown no sign of tempering their ambition and their aggression. Ray says that China's huge economy gives it tools and leverage that other countries lack. Citing an example from 2020, U.S. companies operating in China were required by law to use a certain tax software. But a number of U.S. companies then discovered that malware was delivered into their networks through that software. Which gave the Chinese Communist Party access to the company's data. So what that adds up to is that by complying with Chinese laws for conducting lawful business in China, they ended up with back doors into their systems. He added that in 2021, Microsoft and other cybersecurity companies disclosed that Chinese hackers had compromised over 10,000 U.S. networks. And that's just one example of how the Chinese government is pursuing their goal to lie, cheat, and steal their way into global domination of technology sectors. Ray said that China is hiring hackers as if they were cyber mercenaries and providing them with state resources to attack the United States. Ray said in January that the FBI opens a new China counterintelligence investigation about every 12 hours. 
that there are currently more than 2,000 of those investigations and that all 56 U.S.-based FBI field offices are engaged in the effort. Flood season in China has begun. Since June, persistent rains in at least eight southern Chinese provinces have caused serious floods. Now, bands of rain are shifting to the north. Check it out. Long-lasting downpours have caused major damage in regions of south China. The heavy rain led reservoirs to fill quickly and exceed flood warning levels. Guangxi province has seen some of the most severe flooding this year. Street signs there are underwater, with major traffic blockades happening because of it. Reports say more than 43,000 households lost power. But one citizen made an interesting observation, saying water levels in her area kept rising even after the rain stopped. She speculates that's because local authorities were releasing excess overflow from nearby reservoirs. In Guangdong, some villages saw similar problems. Authorities there reportedly didn't inform locals about a plan to release excess water from a reservoir. The move caused major flooding in lower-lying areas. Over in Zhejiang province, as many as 23 reservoirs exceeded warning levels as of Monday. Like in other areas, officials gave no notice before discharging excess water. One social media user revealed why authorities haven't been informing residents ahead of time. He said a local official told him that this way, authorities can avoid being forced to pay out compensation for damages. According to him, the official said, quote, when you inform residents about plans to discharge water, will they agree with it? They would demand compensation for crops, livestock, and other property damage, at least billions of dollars. But instead, the same residents would be grateful for bags of instant noodles from authorities if they believe the flood came from natural causes. In Fujian province, heavy rains have caused more than 10 landslides. More than nine inches of rainfall hit the region from Sunday through Tuesday. That water damaged over 320 sections of roadway and 210 acres of crops. Parts of Hunan province saw even more severe flooding, with water reaching a depth of two stories in some places. After months of citywide lockdowns that kept most confined to their apartments or neighborhoods, more Chinese civilians are now rising up, and this time with some limited success. Southern China's Dongxing City has been under lockdown since February, and restrictions were only gradually loosening as of late May. Local residents posted on social media site Weibo that the prolonged blockade had devastated the economy of the small border town, leaving people without income and struggling to make ends meet, while authorities ignored the situation. But on Sunday, new COVID-19 cases were reported, meaning another lockdown laid in store for the city. That was the last straw for residents. <laughs> Thousands of people gathered in front of a local government building, demanding that no more lockdowns be ordered in the city. A video shows a large number of police officers arriving on the scene to confront the protesters. In the end, officials had to come out and talk to the crowd. Following the protests, the Guangxi authorities issued an emergency notice to alleviate the people's anger. Under it, city residents would not be confined to their apartments, but were still blocked from leaving the city. A Chinese social media influencer and salesman is facing a career nightmare, all because he promoted a certain ice cream dessert.
Some suggest the issue is linked to a sensitive anniversary date in China, the June 4th Tiananmen massacre. Let's zoom in on the incident. Influencer Li Jiaqi's sales record once topped $600 million in a single day. But over the weekend, his sky-high numbers plunged to zero. Li is a Chinese celebrity and social media personality known for live stream sales. Oh my gosh. Meaning he advertises and sells products through social media channels for a living. To get a sense of scale for his success, on China's Singles Day shopping extravaganza in 2020, his live stream sales topped $600 million. But last Friday, his live stream was suddenly cut off after he displayed a unique ice cream bar designed in the shape of a tank. This incident struck on June 3rd, the eve of the 33rd anniversary of the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. That's when the Chinese military opened fire on student protesters who had gathered to ask for democracy and uncensored education. Some are speculating that the shape of the ice cream bar is what caused the problem and drove Chinese internet censors to take action. One 1989 protester, now famously known as the Tank Man, confronted a tank during the incident. This image is now widely considered the symbol of the pro-democracy protest. For decades, information about the massive demonstration has been banned across China, fearful of retaliation from the Communist Party, Older generations in the country often avoid talking about it, so it's been fading from the minds of the younger generations. Lee, like most of his fans, are part of a later generation, so it's unlikely they're familiar with the details. Because of it, some see Lee's ice cream bar incident as one born out of ignorance. Curiously, Beijing's apparent censorship of his live stream has had the opposite effect. Media reports say it sparked younger people to ask older family members about what happened during the 1989 protests. Lee's team explained away the live stream cutoff as due to a technical malfunction. Another of Lee's scheduled streams also didn't air the Sunday afterward. Lee's agency didn't respond to a request for comment before airtime. Coming up, China responds to its interception of an Australian military aircraft over the South China Sea. Beijing is calling the appearance of the Australian plane a serious threat to China's sovereignty. Find out more in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China said on Tuesday that its military identified Australian military aircraft flying over the South China Sea and warned them to leave. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Zhao Lijian spoke about the incident at a news conference in Beijing. The Australian military aircraft is a serious threat to China's sovereignty and security. The response and measures taken by the Chinese military are professional, safe, reasonable and legal. It happened just days after Australia said a Chinese fighter jet intercepted one of its military surveillance planes in the same region. Australia's Defense Department revealed those details on Sunday. Explaining that a Chinese fighter aircraft intercepted an Australian military surveillance plane in the South China Sea region back in May. Defense Minister Richard Marl said the Chinese jet flew very close in front of the Australian aircraft and released a bundle of chaff containing small pieces of aluminum. That debris was then ingested into the Australian aircraft's engine. 
Marles told ABC Television, saying quite obviously this is very dangerous. China lays territory claims to almost all of the South China Sea. But according to a United Nations convention, the zone is considered part of international waters, and states can't lawfully control it for security purposes. Beijing is demanding that an Israel-based news outlet remove an interview with a Taiwanese official and is threatening to downgrade diplomatic ties with Israel if the media doesn't comply. Last week, the Jerusalem Post published an interview with Taiwan's foreign minister, Joseph Wu. In it, Wu advised other countries to be very careful when doing business with China. Yaakov Katz, the editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post, said that shortly after the publication of the interview, he received a phone call from the Chinese embassy. He was told to take down the story or China will sever ties with the Jerusalem Post and downgrade relations with the state of Israel. But Katz said the story, quote, ain't going anywhere. The U.S. is Israel's closest ally, but Israel has a close economic relationship to China, one of its largest trading partners. According to local reports, the Israeli government had ordered its diplomats not to invite Taiwanese officials to local events or to participate in Taiwan-organized events. As for the Taiwan article, it seems Beijing's long arm couldn't bring the article down, but did bring it international attention. A man in Shanghai allegedly launched an attack on a COVID-19 testing site. Reports say he threw a nearby road barricade at the testing site, overturning a table and scattered virus testing samples all over the ground. The incident happened last week after Shanghai residents had spent hours lined up in the sun, waiting to get tested for COVID-19. But after getting to the front of the line, health workers told them the station had run out of test tubes and couldn't collect any more samples. Despite their release from months of lockdown, Shanghai residents still have to get tested for the infection regularly. Negative test results from within 72 hours are required to enter public spaces or ride public transportation. But the seemingly endless rounds of testing have triggered anger among residents. Many internet users sympathize with the man who attacked the booth. On social media, one user wrote, Bravo, Shanghai people don't give in. Another stated, the comments show that there are a lot of people who want to destroy testing sites, but don't dare to. For residents in the city, even managing to get tested may not be enough. In some cases, seniors and others have had a hard time navigating the regulations. That's because entering public spaces requires citizens to scan digital health codes. They keep a record of each person's virus test results and are part of China's contact tracing system. It's become a problem for those that don't have smartphones or who don't know how to use the system. In Shanghai, one elderly man was seen getting kicked off a bus because of it. The Chinese regime has taken extreme measures to stamp out virus spread. Widespread lockdowns have prompted food shortages and lack of medical care and mental stress. In some cities, protests have broken out. One entry in a supplementary reading list has sparked debate. It's part of Chinese high school curriculum. The story depicts a Chinese Communist Party or CCP member killing his wife all for the party's so-called revolutionary cause.
The story is set in pre-1949 China, before the Communist Party took power. The story's author says his grandfather worked for the CCP and raised funds in the form of gold bars to fund the regime's military. But the author's grandmother took the gold bars and ran away. His grandfather couldn't stop her, so he killed her. But the story got a different kind of attention after it was posted on social media. Backlash poured in from internet users, one of which described it as a purely fabricated style of writing. Another accused the CCP of trying to brainwash students, writing, they shape your children with CCP nature from an early age, train them to be a Chinese Communist Party member rather than a human. To end today's episode, for years, the West has complained that China's state subsidies allow Chinese businesses to offer much lower prices than overseas competitors, including in the production of solar panels. A recent report backed up that accusation. Here's more. According to a recent report by U.S. research organization, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, or CSIS, China's industrial policy spending was over $400 billion in 2019. This means China spent almost 2% of its GDP to subsidize businesses, more than its defense spending. It's much higher than all the other economies the report studied. For comparison, the U.S. only spent 0.4% of its GDP on business subsidies. The subsidies make it possible for Chinese manufacturers to earn more than rivals from other countries. By producing one piece of solar panel, a Taiwanese company may get a $2 profit, but a Chinese company may be able to make $10. That is why around 2007 or 2008, Chinese solar panels were dumped into the global market at very low prices. This almost killed all Taiwanese solar panel manufacturers, and even American and German products were butchered. China subsidizes businesses in many ways. Besides direct subsidies, the regime can also provide support through tax incentives, state investment funds, below-market credit to state-owned enterprises, below-market land sales to firms, and many other methods. Subsidies not only go to state-owned businesses, but also the so-called private businesses. In communist China, all entities have to follow the Communist Party's instructions or otherwise face clampdowns by authorities. Alabama or Huawei, for example, they look like private businesses, but we all know that the Chinese Communist regime is behind these companies. Because the World Trade Organization only regulates government behavior, in a way, the WTO can't do anything about China's subsidies to these companies. Of course, American, European or Japanese companies can't compete with such government power. Experts say that China uses state power to compete with private businesses from other countries and that this is not only unfair, but also against international regulations. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Presenting the heritage of traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics and reviving the true tradition. The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan. On August 28th, the finals will be broadcast live online worldwide. Registration hotline 188-477-9228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com.